Since you enjoy this show, I thought I'd throw out there another podcast you might like. It's a show about the intersection of design, technology, and the creative process. It's the Design Better podcast. And in each episode, hosts Eli Woolery and Aaron Walter bring you conversations with inspiring creative thinkers like John Cleese and David Sedaris, people who bring design and technology together like Tony Fadal, co-inventor of the iPhone and the iPod. So far, some standout episodes for me have been when they talk to John Cleese of Monty Python about creativity. That is one of my favorite topics and one of my favorite people. Then also one of my favorite musicians, Tycho, about his creative process. And they talk with Seth Godin about how creativity is an act of generosity. I've always been fascinated by design, the creativity behind it, the implementation of it, both to improve our lives from a functionality and user interface standpoint, also from an artful bringing beauty into the world approach. So whether you're a design curious person like me or a design pro, Design Better is a great listen that inspires and informs. Subscribe to the Design Better podcast at designbetterpodcast.com or in your favorite podcast app like the one you're using right now. and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I am your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I am sharing a conversation I had with Zach Arnold, someone who has been behind my productivity in ways I didn't even know. One of the most productive things that you can do is to take a break and not just take a break, but maybe share that break time with somebody else, say, watching a show, And one of the things that I have really enjoyed over the past few years and seasons with my son and my daughter has been watching Cobra Kai. Well, Zach Arnold is an award-winning Hollywood film and television editor from Cobra Kai to Burn Notice, another favorite of mine, Empire, Shooter, Glee. He's a member of the American Cinema Editors, an American Ninja Warrior, and the creator of the Optimize Yourself program and podcast. In his Optimize Yourself podcast, he aims to give creative professionals insight into how to love what they do for a living without having to sacrifice their health, their relationships, or their sanity in the process. I had a great time talking with Zach about some of the lessons that he's learned along the way as a creative, as well as how he views the whole process of optimization, what that really means, how we can do that without constantly trying to look for hacks in our life and really live life according to our priorities. So I'm going to get out of the way and just say, enjoy this conversation with Zach Arnold. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show, Zach Arnold. Zach, welcome to Beyond the To-Do List. I'm super excited to be here. And for those that are creatives that can relate to this, raging imposter syndrome right now. Because I look at your list of guests from Gretchen Rubin to Greg McEwen to Mark Champagne to Joey Cafone, all these names, many of which, by the way, I've had conversations, but it's always from the place of, I really admire what you do and I want to learn more. To be on the same guest list, I'm just like, am I sure I'm in the right place right now? So I'm, I'm going to do my best to, to earn this spot on the roster. But boy, do you have an amazing show with some great conversations. 
Well, thank you so much. And I will just say I was looking at your roster as well for your Optimize Yourself podcast. And there are a few names there that I'm like, hmm, you've had some people that I'm interested in. One of which specifically, I was like, you got to talk to the karate kid himself. But there was a reason for that because of basically your air quotes day job, which we want to get into. Of course, obviously, you've worked on Cobra Kai and shows like Empire and Burn Notice, another favorite of mine. My daughter and I have watched Glee recently during the pandemic as well. So you've had all these different things that like I'm hooked into, but you talked to Ralph Macchio, which is pretty stinking awesome. Yeah, definitely one of the highlights of my career, both as an editor, just getting the opportunity to work with him and call him a colleague, but also as a podcaster and somebody that really admires what he's accomplished and what he's about. As soon as I saw months and months before it even released, heard that he was writing a book, I'm like, oh, you will be on my podcast. Oh, yes, you will be on my (laughs) podcast. And it wasn't easy just even having the, the insider connection, just battling his calendar and publicists and everything else. It wasn't easy, but boy, was it worth it. It's one of my favorite conversations I've ever had. Yeah, I have heard him on, I think he was on Mark Marin and maybe something else that I heard as well. And I really enjoyed that conversation. I'm looking forward to jumping in on the one that's on yours. And I'll link that up in the show notes, by the way, for this episode so people can check Great, it out. Awesome. I appreciate that. Yeah. But you have worked as a creative in the Hollywood space, in TV and in movies, and have had a prolific career there as a creative. But you also are a podcaster with your show, Optimize Yourself. And I'm curious, what led you to decide to dip your toes into the podcasting world? You've been doing this now for what? I think by number count, I would say four-ish, five-ish years. It's funny because I've actually been doing it for almost nine years because I had another podcast with over 200 episodes before I rebranded. So it's interesting. Very few people ever actually ask me this question, and this is actually a really good story. The caveat to it is that I didn't quote unquote identify as a podcaster until maybe six months to a year ago. It's always been a hobby, a side hustle. It was a great way for me to build my network, surround myself with mentors. But if somebody said you're a podcaster, I'm like, I'm not a podcaster. And they're like, dude, you've got 200 plus episodes and you're getting like A-list guests. I'm finally like, okay, I guess I'm a podcaster. So I've never really seen it that way. But where it all started is reverse all the way back to about 2014. And I was in a place where I was starting to make significant strides in my career. I had worked on Burn Notice for three or four seasons, which was A-list cable, but it wasn't like A-list television network. Streaming really wasn't quite a thing yet. So really, to consider yourself A-list was to get on big network shows. And I was in the process of working on my first network show and dealing with just the immense pressure, the crazy deadlines, the hours, and really struggling with burnout which I'd never, I'd struggled with before in my life, but never to this level with these stakes. And I realized that I had for years been doing all these things behind the scenes as kind of like an amateur athlete getting into Spartan races and just these other things to kind of keep my mind fresh. And people started to come to me and say, what are all these things that you're doing to maintain your health? Because you've got two kids, you're working as an editor. You don't look like an editor, right? You don't fit the mold of somebody that lives in a small, dark room. So I talked to them about my standing desk or my other little routines here and there. And somebody said, hey, you should you know, start a, a fitness group or something. I'm like, that'd be interesting. What if I started like a hiking group and we met on Sundays and I called it fitness in post, right? So I would say, you can spend all day fixing it in post. Now it's time for some fitness in post. That was kind of the tagline. And I started a podcast just so the people in my hiking group 
could talk about the challenges we were having in the industry, talking about burnout and how do you fit exercise into the day? And it just exploded. Like it went from just, I, I had a friend of mine that helped me produce it because I knew nothing about websites and podcasts. So I just got on the microphone and he helped me with it. And all of a sudden organically grew this huge audience and started to get people that actually wanted to be on the show. I'm like, okay, I, I guess. And then that was kind of the beginning of the, the genesis of the podcasting career was over 200 episodes of fitness and post until I realized that if I really wanted to talk more broadly about things beyond fitness that I had to rebrand. So in 2017 is when I decided to rebrand to optimize yourself. So I still can talk about fitness and I can still talk about sleep, but I can also talk about career advancement and networking and relationship building and productivity, et cetera, et cetera. Because I found that I'm very much a polymath and that I'm interested in so many different things that to have one niche podcast in one area, I just can't do it. So that was kind of the genesis of first podcasting in general and then optimizing yourself. It's a great way to call out your branding as something that can encompass a wide spectrum. It's kind of what I was doing too mm -hmm. with, with the title of my show. It's like, it's, you know, beyond the to-do list. That means I'd get to talk about everything productivity related, or if there's something that I think is, you know, Hey, cause I'm the host, I get to decide. I can mm -hmm. rope that in and kind of weave the story in terms of, you know, the narrative as to why it matters, because ultimately like you're talking about, we want to optimize ourselves, but here's where things kind of get tricky. A lot of people get burned out on even talking about productivity. I know you kind of refer to it as almost like a, a productivity cult because, you know, people jump in and you've probably heard this when people talk about optimizing, it's an endless journey of optimization, turning dials and pushing sliders and pushing buttons. And it's like, when is enough enough? Well, Actually, that's a quick question. When is enough enough for you? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that you brought that up because this is always a caveat that I have to put like in the very first email when somebody joins or anytime I talk about this, the immediate kind of knee jerk reaction. And this has changed a lot over the last five or 10 years because when biohacking and life hacking was really at its apex, it was all about optimization. I got to find the quickest, fastest, most efficient route to get to this result. And that's not what I'm about at all. So the way that I have to frame this is that my definition of optimization is not the relentless pursuit of perfection. It is the relentless pursuit of progression, which means that it's not a matter of I've reached perfection in this area. It is now optimized and I move to the next one. It's very kind of Buddhist in nature where it really is about the journey and the process and not the destination. So I'm always looking to find ways. How can I just get that 1% better any given day in any given area, which for me is the pursuit of optimization, already knowing I'm never going to reach a point where I can say, box checked, I am optimized. It's never going to happen. And that releases so much of the pressure and where I think the burnout comes from. And the reason that I have been known to say that productivity in a way has almost become a cult is I think that with our access to so many apps and tools and resources, and we've just thrown gasoline on this fire times a million with AI, we've gotten to the point where we're trying to do so much and become so much more efficient that we're losing a sense of actually being effective. And one of my favorite interviews that I've done, and I know you've interviewed him as well, is Greg McEwen. Essentialism is not just a book title, it's a way of life. And it's how can I make sure that I'm being effective with my time? And furthermore, how can I make sure that how I'm spending my time is in alignment with my values? That to me is so much more important than how efficiently I can get through tasks, get through to-do lists. 
if you look at just kind of this general sense of productivity over time in the modern world, every time some new tool comes out, the promise is the following. We now have this tool. Think of all the extra free time we will have to live a life of leisure and balance. Well, I call BS on that because all we do is we keep filling that gap with more stuff, right? If it didn't, having irons and washers and dryers and refrigerators, well, now we're not beating our clothes against a rock. Where's all the extra free time that our washer and dryer saved us? We just found other ways to fill that time. And I am really really specific and intentional about as I'm figuring out ways to be more effective. If that gives me more time, I do my best to fill it with something meaningful and valuable with the caveat. I'm very much a recovering workaholic. And this is my constant ongoing existential struggle is when I do create more efficiency and effectiveness in my life, how do I not just keep jamming in more work? So I'm very, very human. And that has led to burnout more than once, but I'm at least very aware of it and intentional about making sure that what I'm doing is an effective use of my time. Yeah. Having freed up that time, but then like putting a wedge in there immediately so that nothing else takes that time. Like it's downtime, it's rest, it's, you know, all the good things that we say. And and I love that in your, you know, in your description of what you talk about on your show, you're bringing insights about what people do for a living without having to, you know, doing that, doing it with excellence, but not sacrificing your health, your relationships, your sanity, which is a lot of that, like, you know, I'm going to hack my life so that I can do 10 X this. And, you know, my numbers go up, but like, then they still forget that everything that's important is lost by the wayside as they're life hacking themselves and biohacking themselves. And the the number one word that I use with the students in my coaching program that I use on my podcast and with anybody that I talk to is there are a lot of things that we could accomplish with all the life hacks and all of these other productivity tools or apps, but we have to add one word. Can you do it all sustainably? Can you do it over the long term rather than the short term? Because I think that we've been trained and designed and conditioned by society to play a game of checkers right? Getting the next best productivity app, that's leveling up a game of checkers. I'm a big believer that we have to play a game of chess with our careers and with our lives. And frankly, it's a four-dimensional game of chess because it's not just the game in front of us, but it's a game that we're going to be playing for decades. So one of the analogies that I use with my students when I teach them time management is that your calendar is the chessboard for your life. And you have to learn how to move all of the pieces around knowing that this is a much longer game. So it's not just Friday afternoon, do a review. How many things did I get done? It's Could you do all those things sustainably if you took that one week and extrapolated it over 52 weeks a year or 520 weeks over a decade, right? So sustainability changes the game. I can do almost anything for a certain period of time. And I've done it. I've worked 80, 90, 100 hour weeks. I've met insane deadlines. I've solved incredibly complex creative challenges that people said, there's no way we can solve this problem and definitely not on this deadline. And I looked them straight in the eye and I'm like, try me. And I did it, but then it completely destroyed me for days or even weeks or months. And we have to amortize the way that we spend our time and think about it more sustainably. So anybody can do something for a certain period of time. Can you do it sustainably is the question that I think most people are not asking of themselves. Well, and that folds into, I know you don't like the term work-life balance. And honestly, I heard uh, years ago, I had somebody who was a guest and they said, I don't like that term either. And they said, they don't like it because it's not realistic or not reasonable. They were a slack line walker. 
And what they said was, is, you know, you shift one way and then you shift another. Your balance is always shifting. In other words, there is no perfect balance that I get to, I reach, kind of like what you're talking about where, well, I've optimized that and then you walk away and move on to the next thing. It's always in flux. It's always a state of macro level long-term thinking seasonality wise, whether that's seasons of the year, which are typically three, four months, or if it's seasons of life, two to three, five to seven years, whatever. So I love that you're approaching it that way as well. Yeah. And uh, one thing that I want to clarify is that I love the concept of work-life balance. I hate the term work-life balance. It doesn't properly encapsulate what we're going for. The concept of having a life that is balanced between our work and everything outside of work, which could be our family, could be relationships, could be our athletic pursuits, could be our hobbies. The concept, I think, is great, but we're using the wrong term because, like you said with that uh, Slackline expert, which, by the way, totally going to steal it when I talk about this going forwards, because I have workshopped this with many productivity experts. One of the questions that I ask them in my interviews, all right, here's what I think of work-life balance, the term. What do you think? And help me find a different one. And I've yet to just be like, that's it. That's the way to do it. But the one that I've used is I am more interested in work-life presence. And an example of what I mean by that is if we talk about balance, let's just use numbers. Let's make it about math. If I work 45 hours a week, then if we're looking at balance on a scale, that means I should have 45 hours a week where I'm now with my kids, with my spouse, with my partner, whatever that looks like, however you define work, however you define life, the balance in the numbers is 45-45. However, If the 45 hours that you're at work, all you're thinking about is how much you hate your job and the people you work with, and you're sending messages to your kids and your wife, and you're like, oh my God, I cannot wait until Friday night. And then conversely, the 45 hours that you're with your family, you're answering emails and you're dealing with stuff on Slack and you're dealing with all this other stuff, you perfectly have nailed work-life balance. You have 0% work-life presence. So I want to be in a position where whatever it is that I'm focused on at the time, if I'm in the middle of cutting an intense scene or training montage for Cobra Kai, that's the only thing that exists in my life. However, when I walk away from my office and I'm going to my daughter's gymnastics competition, that is the only thing that I'm doing in my life. If I'm on a podcast interview with you right now, this is my entire life. This is all that exists. And I've structured my calendar and all of my technology and all of my apps that you're it. It is almost an impenetrable wall outside of masses of emergency for my wife saying, you have to do this thing immediately. Obviously, I want to keep that door open because ultimately, no offense, my family is more important than this podcast. But outside of an emergency, there's nothing right now that's more important in my entire life than our conversation. That to me is work-life presence. Sometimes I'm going to have way more hours of work on my calendar than family. And sometimes that's going to be flipped. But I make sure, for example, when I'm dealing with my family and I'm going to a season of Cobra Kai, I'll sit down and I'll have a conversation with them. All right, so we're getting ready to ramp up for another season. I want to set the expectation that from you know the middle of December until February, I'm not going to be as available. I'm going to be a little bit disconnected. I'm going to apologize for that in advance. You're all important to me. I'm here if you need something, but I'm going to be less available to you. Whereas on the flip side, when I'm done with Cobra Kai, I am way more available to my family. So I think that ultimately what we really need to develop is the skill of being intentional and the skill of being present with what we're doing as opposed to trying to figure out this endless struggle of work-life balance. 
Now, I promise I was paying attention that whole time, but I couldn't help but think about that there is only one season left, and my son and my daughter and I are all incredible fans of the show, and we're just like, come on, you know, so you're going to have to give me the heads up that you're working on it or something once we get to that point. Yeah, the short version I can give you is that it's TBD. This actually very much factors into this conversation. It seems like a foregone conclusion that since I've edited seasons two through five of Cobra Kai and season five, I was lead editor and associate producer, foregone conclusion, of course, I'm going to edit the final season. However, because my work-life presence is so important and I look at all the things that are true priorities and values in my life, a question that I always have to ask myself that I teach my students is when you say yes to something, are you clear about what you're saying no to? And if I'm going to say yes to Cobra Kai, there are a lot of things that I have to say no to because I've now spent over a year building up my coaching program. I'm getting some of the best podcast guests I've ever had. There's a lot of growth happening behind the scenes. So I have to ask the question, if I say yes to Cobra Kai, what am I saying no to in my business? Well, I can schedule less podcasts. I'm going to see my kids less. I'm probably going to have to drop a few of my private coaching students. So I'm always asking myself, what am I saying no to? Which means that I have to set very clear and specific boundaries. So when it comes to going back to Cobra Kai, and it would be this way with any opportunity, there's a lot of non-negotiables for me. And I find that most people are not aware of what the non-negotiables are. So they keep saying yes to things. And realizing, oh my God, I've set this unrealistic expectation. And ultimately, what it all comes down to with burnout is a misalignment of expectation and reality. I'm trying to meet an unrealistic expectation and I'm pushing through whether that expectation is I'm capable of working 80 hours a week or I'm supposed to enjoy what I'm doing and pretend that this is fun and I hate it or I'm supposed to like the people that I'm working with and I don't. This misalignment of expectation and reality is usually the root cause of burnout. There are other many superficial circumstances, but when you really dig down deep, it's just this misalignment and that's where the burnout occurs. Yeah. And that misalignment is something that's key and it's very subconscious. Most people don't get to that point of self-awareness where they realize that they have expectations of themselves or they haven't said any at all, subconscious or otherwise. You said uh, saying yes to something means saying no to everything else. I'm really thankful that we've got some really good or at least one really good and some subpar multiversal movies that are out now that kind of illustrate this concept is that, well, if I say yes to one thing, then it opens up these paths and yes, here opens these paths, kind of multiverse tree journey, whatever you want to call it. And I just couldn't help but think that that's kind of a path forward here in terms of boundaries or I guess, where do you start with that? I mean, when you're talking to people who have one, no awareness two misalignment and or three unstated goals or goals that they haven't clearly created any boundaries for, how do you start with that new person who walks in and you, you know, air quote, diagnose them? Sure. I love it. So the what I found more often than not is if I were to say to somebody, well, clearly you don't have boundaries. So what you need to do is set boundaries. Deer in headlights. Uh, I I don't know what you, first of all, bo- uh, boundaries, what is that word? And then secondly, when they need to figure out what their boundaries are, they can't. And what they're usually, if not almost always missing are clear goals. You can't know what to say no to until you know what you're saying yes to. It's the inverse, right? So if I'm going to say yes to something, I have to be clear about what I'm saying no to. But if I'm going to say no to something, which means I'm putting a boundary up against it, I can only do that if I know what I want to say yes to. So usually, if you can't set boundaries, that's because you don't have clear goals. And the reason most people don't have clear goals is because they're living on autopilot. 
I wake up in the morning and I'm in reaction mode. I don't have any form of habit in the morning or the evening before or both that allows me to be present with myself, be present with my thoughts, which totally shameless self plug for you. Go listen to the podcast with Mark Champagne talking about how to develop your mental fitness. So how can I be more present and aware of my thoughts and where I'm stuck? And once I at least have a little bit of that time and I'm a little bit less in reaction mode and I'm a little bit more present, well, let's think about what are the things that I have in my life that I want? What are the things that I don't have in my life that I would want as far as career goals, professional goals, family goals, personal relationships, hobbies, obsessions in my case, whatever it might be, you need to be clear on what it is that you want first. You can't set a boundary around something until you actually know what it is that you want. And I think that the next piece in this, once again, is going to be, I could probably take half your guest list and I can send people to them because we have so many similar ones. But a concept that I teach very, very early in my program with goal setting before we even talk about the goal is you need to understand your tendency and how you respond to expectations. So just go to the link in uh, your uh, show notes list, Gretchen Rubin, boom, four tendencies. Because what I often find is that somebody that doesn't understand how to set a boundary or is afraid to, there are very specific tendencies. So of her four tendencies, where we have the upholder, the questioner, the obliger, and the rebel, most people that struggle with this the most are the obligers. I say yes to everything in the outside world, almost to the point of I see myself as a martyr. I'm going to meet everybody's expectations, but I don't meet my own. And that sense of, I don't know how to set a boundary is sometimes I don't know how, and sometimes I'm afraid to, because that's not who I am. I'm somebody that says yes to all these outside expectations. So really ask yourself, if you struggle to set boundaries, number one, are you clear on what your goals are? And number two, maybe you do know how to set it. You're just afraid to, because it's in misalignment with who you've been in the past. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people, or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I think the other factor here that comes in is self-awareness. And we don't like that. During the pandemic time, that was one of the things that's like you either, you were spending a lot of time with other people, maybe, or vice versa, spending a lot of time without people at all. And it was just you. And in fact, most of us found both those things to be true. We'd kind of oscillate back and forth between them, depending upon, you know, our living situation, our work situation, et cetera. But we found it uncomfortable. It's one of the reasons why, like, for years I've gone to bed, like, listening to music or sometimes, you know, just a silly whatever, doesn't matter, I don't need to learn anything type podcast just because it quiets the thoughts. And that's not necessarily a good thing, but it is something that it's good to be aware of. But as far as self-awareness and self-discovery and knowing who we are, what we're good at, how we operate best, 
how to optimize how we operate best, et cetera. There's two key ways to go with this. One is you got to spend some time doing self-awareness to even decide or become aware of some of those unaware goals that you have deep seated inside your head, you know, your values, you know, the hats that you've decided to wear, why are those important? But then on the flip side, and we can get to this later, how to then dig deeper into the self-awareness of how you natively operate, whether that's good or bad, how to optimize, tweak, et cetera, without, you know, getting too nerdy or too in the weeds with it when good enough is good enough in some of those areas. So take your pick. We can go both ways. Yeah, the the word that's jumping out at me right now with big giant alarm bells and anybody that's of our generation, they might remember Pee Wee's Playhouse and where there is the word of the day and cherry and everybody else, the bells and the whistles and the music. As soon as you said awareness, I, I was like, ooh, that's the word of the day. And what's so important to bring up here is how our awareness level skyrocketed because of the pandemic. I saw this happen universally. This is not about people that work in my industry versus other industries. If you are human, you went through some form of an awareness process because the world took a giant mirror and held it up in your face and said, you have no choice but to stop. Let's examine your life and what it looks like right now. And that scared the crap out of a lot of people. And I wrote about this phenomenon about mid-2020. It was like May or June. And this is kind of one of those people in our industry will call like a thought leader post, not an SEO post, but it was just on a Sunday night. I'm like, oh God, I need to write about this. And I wrote about it in a couple of days. I sent a link to the students in my Slack community. One person shared it in a Facebook group. Three days later, 200,000 people had read this article all throughout the Hollywood entertainment industry because I touched on the nerve of this idea that we don't want to go back to normal because normal wasn't working. And I think that happened to so many people across so many different industries where we're so busy and we lack so much awareness that it's just about getting through our days. Again, I wake up in the morning, I'm reactive, I get in my car, I run the kids to school. As soon as I get to work, I've got these emails, these Slack messages, I got to get the job done. All of a sudden, oh my God, how did it get to be 8 p.m.? I got to get back in the car, got to deal with traffic, got to make sure the kids are fed, get them to bed. (sighs) Okay, let me just use some music. Let me slow myself down. Okay, just enough that I can close my eyes and fall asleep. And holy crap, it's 6 a.m. Rinse, lather, repeat over and over and over. And the pandemic said, you're going to stop and you're going to examine where you are right now. And we had this gigantic dose of awareness. And what I thought was going to happen in March of 2020, and I vividly remember this, and I can give if anybody's watching this as opposed to listening right there on that couch, I sat on that couch and I stared at this wall for a week and I said, that's the end of my business. My business is totally going to collapse and I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills because I can't edit because there was no work. Hollywood shut down. And why in the world would anybody pay money for a coaching program right now? Needless to say, in hindsight, I'm sure you can probably see what's coming. My business more than doubled in less than a year because so many people were having this existential crisis. And what they realized is that the best way to develop awareness is for somebody else to be there to be your mirror. It is very, very challenging completely on your own in a vacuum, in a small, dark room to have awareness. It's something that we as humans are just not wired to be good at. It's funny because recently I've been digging into this more deeply from the, the neuroscience perspective. And I talked to somebody about this and there's a theory that the fact that we are so bad at having awareness of ourselves is actually wired for evolutionary survival because it means that we need to surround ourselves with other people that can help us develop that awareness. So if you really are struggling with awareness, what you need to do is talk to somebody else that can be a reflection of where you are and they can listen. 
And then you can develop a lot of that awareness. And I myself include, and even as somebody that's a coach, that's a strategist, I always kind of joke that I'm kind of unofficially a career therapist without any of the degrees, because going through this transitional process of redesigning your life and your career, there's a lot of therapy that goes into it. But even I myself need a coach. I need a therapist because it's so hard for me to be aware of my own behaviors and my own patterns. So I think it's really important for anybody that's maybe at the earlier stages of this journey that's not even aware, if they don't even know what they don't know, you need somebody there with you on this journey to help you reflect all of these things so they can help you develop awareness of yourself. Well, so speaking of other people, I know you specifically, you've had kind of a reoccurring theme in your adult life of burnout and burning out. And I know you even call yourself a recovering workaholic and Mm -hmm. you've worked in the television and film industry now for over 20 years. But in your time in there, you've experienced a lot of other people also experiencing the same thing with burnout that you have. What are some of the things that you've observed in terms of what to do or what not to do, as you've seen it from your own life, self-awareness wise, as well as outside of yourself, seeing it in others that are in the trenches with you. Yeah, sure. So we already touched on the idea a little bit of understanding what the root cause of burnout might be, which again is this misalignment of expectation and reality. So if we lay that as the foundation, the first lesson that I've learned both myself personally, but also from many of the people that I talk to As soon as you ask the question, am I burned out? Oh, you are so already past the point of being burned out because your awareness is not in alignment with where you actually are. So if you're asking and wondering, I wonder if I'm burned out, you're burned out. Trust me, because once you're asking it, it's already way too late. So that's the first thing that I want people to to be aware of that if you're wondering, yes, you already are. I can all but guarantee it. Now, burnout is on a spectrum just like depression, just like anxiety. It's not this binary. Either I'm burned out or I'm not burned out. And I can flip a switch and I can go from being burned out to no longer being burned out. It's a very long journey and a very wide spectrum. So I want to make that very, very clear. There are periods where I know that I've been burned out, function totally normally. I can work my work week. I can make sure that I'm there for my family. I can cook dinner, but there's just a part of me that is just disconnected from the work that I do. And that's a really, really big red flag. One of the biggest red flags with burnout is something that you used to be really passionate about is just gone. You're just going through the motions. So that would be one of those red flags to help develop awareness is you're just not connected to things. Another would be the things that used to be not that challenging all of a sudden you just feel like Sisyphus. You're just pushing that boulder up the mountain. So an example in my life would be, and I've been through this more than once, I can get two hours of raw footage for a scene and I can look at it and be like, I just, I can't, I just, I can't watch the footage. I can't put it in a timeline. I can't cut it together. It's just too much versus, oh, this is going to be fun. I can't wait to cut this. That to me is a red flag or a sign of burnout. In the world of being a podcaster and entrepreneur, it's the difference between, man, I've got I've got three interviews this week with awesome people versus I've got three interviews this week. I just, oh, I just can't, right? It's all about perspective. So I think getting a a sense of how am I approaching work and approaching problems that I created because I wanted to create them and make that a part of my life. If you no longer want to solve those problems or you find these things just to be burdensome or tedious, that's really a big red flag that you're probably dealing with burnout. So for those that don't have the awareness, the place to start is if I'm asking myself, I'm already somewhere on the spectrum. And then the next big one is are things that I really enjoyed that I was passionate about, which by the way, doesn't have to be work. 
It could be a hobby. It could be exercise, whatever it might be. If you just have lost that emotional connection and you just don't feel the endorphins firing, there's something going on and there's some level of burnout. Now, I know that we mentioned the word goals and we even talked about boundaries. Boundaries are great, but I think there might even be another word for a different type of boundary, like a, a low limit or a, an, a preliminary boundary of a guardrail, right? Mm. I mean, again, we're not talking about reaching a destination per se. We're in it for the travel, but um, mm-hmm. maybe not always with goals. Sometimes goals is like, no, I completed that goal or I learned along the way towards that goal. A whole other conversation. But if we're on our journey towards the goal. We've got boundaries as to, okay, we're not going to drive at night if we're too tired or we're not going to over-caffeinate. Those are general boundaries, but like literal guardrails that are there to like, oh, I hit that. Okay, good. I hit that before I went over the cliff. What are some of life guardrails that we can put up or have self-awareness of bumping up against them earlier than the point of asking ourselves if we have burnout because it's too late? Yeah, I'm so glad that you brought this up because I think that uh, this is a word that's kind of come up in the lexicon of productivity recently. I don't know where it came up for you, but I want to make sure to, to put a shout out to where I first heard the concept. It was Anne Helen Peterson. It was in her book, Out of Office. And I know that it's been thrown around a lot, whether or not she originated it or otherwise, that's where I heard it. And it was just like this like aha moment, like, oh my God, I totally get this. So this idea of there's multiple levels to boundaries and guardrails are kind of those impenetrable ones where even if you're going around that curve at night at 50 miles an hour, you're not going over the cliff because the guardrail is there. So with my students, this is what I call your non-negotiables. A boundary is, I don't want to work overtime, but you've got the that one delivery and it's in a couple of days and you kind of get in the trenches and you got to make sure that you put in the work so you're proud of what you did. All right, fine. I'll work a couple of nights overtime. That's a boundary, right? A guardrail is I never work on Saturdays. I don't care if this show doesn't get delivered. I refuse to work on Saturdays because that day is where I'm going to be present with my family. Everybody's guardrails and boundaries are going to be different and very personal based on their goals. But that's an example of a boundary versus a guardrail. So an example for me that's a non-negotiable is for me now working from home. It used to be a boundary. It used to be, well, ideally, if the show works some from home, like maybe I can do the hybrid or, you know, I'll I'll go into the office a couple of days a week. That's fine. That's a boundary, right? But that's very malleable and negotiable constantly on a spectrum. It is now a guardrail where I have said in any negotiation, even for a show like Cobra Kai, that's super important to me. I've said, I just want to start the conversation by saying, if this is work from home, we keep talking. If I need to drive into the studio, as much as it pains me to say it, you're welcome to replace me and find somebody else to cut the show. That's a guardrail. I have no room to negotiate because I'm so clear on what I'm saying no to if I say yes to working in the office. And five years ago, my goals were very different and my life circumstances were different. So working from home was a boundary. It's kind of a nice to have. It was like, ah, shucks, it would be nice if I could work from home one day a week. But sure, you let me know where I need to be and I'll be there and I'll be on time. Now it's a matter of we don't need to talk about anything else if this isn't 100% work from home, which means it's it gets harder to say no to things, especially if we go back to this idea of Greg McEwen's essentialism. If you've gotten through essentialism, the reason he wrote his book Effortless is because you get to the point where everything is essential and you still can't do it all. That's where my life is right now. There is almost nothing on my calendar that isn't essential, that isn't in alignment with my values, but I have the same 24 hours a day and seven days a week that you have. So now I feel like I'm very effectively using my time. 
But if I add anything else into it, I have to say no to the things that I'm doing. So that's why now I have a guardrail. It is, I am 100% work from home. If I need to drive in for one or two screenings, sure, I'll make that work. But if it's not work from home, I'm out. So I think for everybody, they need to think, what are the boundaries versus the guardrails? And here's one that I think is all but universal for the human experience. I think everybody needs to not have boundaries, but they need to have guardrails around sleep. Especially if you do creative work, if you're a knowledge worker, if you're a creator, an entrepreneur, an artist, the number one tool that you have to be great at what you do is up here. It's all this gray matter. And if you're not sleeping regularly, you're not optimizing, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, optimizing your ability to generate creative thoughts and solve problems. So it's not a matter of, well, you know, I, I try to get seven hours a night, but things just got busy and life got in the way. Oh, no, 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 no. For me, a guardrail is if I can't get eight hours of sleep, then something about my life needs to change. And funny enough, totally coincidentally, I was just going through in my uh, Aura app because I uh, I'm religiously use the Aura ring to track my sleep and heart rate and blood oxygenation, et cetera, et cetera. And it said, oh, you were in bed for eight and a half hours last night. And then I'm like, oh, they have a feature for the average over the week and the month and the year. And I'm like, I wonder if I practice what I preach because I've never really looked at the long-term trends and the averages. I kind of wake up and think, oh, what's my readiness state for the day? And I looked and I've got data since 2019. So I have data for over four years. And every single year since 2019, my average is eight hours and 30 minutes or more. So I am not sacrificing sleep in order to edit Cobra Kai and be a present dad and become an American Ninja Warrior and build a coaching program and be a podcaster because there are guardrails as opposed to boundaries. So I now have four years of data that prove that guardrail has stuck. That doesn't mean like just a week ago, I went to bed at 3.30 in the morning and woke up at 7.30 to teach a class, but that was very much an anomaly because coincidentally enough, I was on the set of American Ninja Warrior and they shoot overnight. I'm like, all right, fine. One night for this huge opportunity. This is a moment that I wanted to have as a memory. I actually wasn't there running for myself. I was there uh, supporting a friend of mine and I was on the sideline. Like, fine, I'll I'll get three hours of sleep and I'll deal with the, the repercussions for the next few days. But again, this idea of sustainability, I've got four years of data that says on average, I'm in bed eight and a half hours a night. That's a guardrail. That's amazing. And by the way, yes, I forgot to mention the American Ninja Warrior-ness of it all that my son and I, <laughs> he would have been flipped out. He's like, you talked to somebody who was on the show. What? What are you talking about? Uh, I'm sure I mentioned it in the intro that I have yet to record. Yeah, that's fine. But one thing to specify, I have not been on the show yet. That's still something I have to check off the bucket list. Uh, just I don't won't spend too much time getting into the nuances of it. But essentially, they shoot more than double the amount of athletes that air on the show. It's a TV show first and a sport second, not the other way around. So I've competed on two seasons, but I haven't done well enough that I've actually aired. So been on the course, competed. I'm part of the community. I now get backstage access to stand right on the sidelines and the showrunners know me, et cetera, et cetera. But the one thing I haven't checked off the bucket list is actually getting featured on the show. So if anybody's like, oh, I want to watch this episode or his story, you're not going to find it because it doesn't exist yet. Yeah. Keyword yet. Keyword yet. So let's stick with the sleep thing. Sounds like you're describing what is a rule and then there are occasional exceptions. What's the threshold of we've had too many exceptions. We now need to make sure we shore that up. Mm -hmm. I'm actually going to come at this from two different directions. So I'm going to get to your question second. The first question that I have to ask myself, if I'm going to break the guardrail, this is not universally applicable, but I think it's almost universally applicable. Is this thing that I'm saying yes to going to matter in five years? 
And I asked myself the last thing I want to do, like I'm usually in bed by 10 or 1030. On average, for the last four years, I'm in bed eight and a half hours a night. I know that for a fact I've got the data. So is this thing that I'm going to literally get almost no sleep for, knowing I have to wake up at 7.30 and teach a class at 8 a.m. and then string it back to back with multiple coaching calls and podcasts after, that's going to change the quality of who I am on those calls. Those recordings exist in perpetuity. So this better be worth it. So if I said no to this overnight opportunity, am I going to remember that in five years and regret it? And the answer was absolutely yes, I'm going to regret this. Very rarely does an opportunity come up for me to support somebody like this on set. And without saying the name, this is one of the most well-known, recognizable ninjas in the entire sport, in the entire world. And she and I have become good friends and she's become my trainer. So I was just there to support her as a person. But I thought, if I'm not there, I'm going to regret this. I'm always going to remember that I said no just so I could sleep. So the question was, is this going to matter in five years? There was no question. And by the way, for days before, I'm like, Ugh, am I really going to do this? Like, there's got to be, no, oh God, do I really want to be up until 3 a.m.? But then that day of got intuition, you know, you're going right. You know, you're going to do it because you can't not do it. It was so clear that it was a hell yes, right? But then for the, the second part of it, how do I know that the guardrails are starting to break is when I find that it's not just a matter of, all right, so I was up until 3.30 in the morning and the next four or five days, I was not my most productive, most present and intentional self, but that was an anomaly. However, if I find that there is a pattern and I'm consistently showing up, not being the person that I want to be, then that means that guardrails are starting to break down and maybe even boundaries are breaking down. And an example in my life, just to be perfectly and totally honest, is that this idea of me being this optimized American Ninja Warrior, I significantly struggle staying consistent with exercise. I really have a hard time being somebody that wakes up every day and can check exercise off the list. I've always been that way. So there's a difference between, ah, I missed a couple of workouts, but I still feel like I'm in good shape and I can get right back into it versus I've missed like eight of my last 10 workouts. Like that's a trend and that's a downward trend and it's going away from the person that I want to be. So that means the guardrails are breaking down. So let's start asking the question, why am I consistently missing workouts? What's stopping me from working out? Is it lack of energy? Is it that I'm overscheduled? Is it that I don't have enough sleep? So I start asking myself the right questions, which again, yet another shameless plug for Mark Champagne, ask yourself better questions, you will get a better quality of life. But for me, I know the guardrails are breaking when I'm starting to see patterns. I like that. And I think some people say, well, I'm not good at recognizing patterns, but I think they don't understand that. No, hopefully not exactly like, but much like, do I have burnout is too late of a question to be asking. If you're noticing a string or a tendency or a recent rush of, man, I feel like I'm failing at this or not showing up at that. And, you know, you have enough of those that you're, you're aware you may just not be spending enough time pausing, which that's hard to do if your calendar's full. Uh, you may not be pausing enough to have those check-ins with yourself. Yeah. And I think an important part of this process, going back to an earlier conversation about awareness, would it be great to have a coach that you can check in with every day, every week to be that awareness? Of course. The much simpler version of this is just track the most important behaviors. If you want to be intentional about how you spend your time, get a really simple habit tracker, which by the way, can be a notebook and a pen. Did I exercise today? Check. Did I not exercise? No check. And all of a sudden you look at your log for the month and you think I am the kind of person that exercises four days a week. And you look at the log and you're like, oh, 
I am the kind of person that exercises one day a week. Misalignment of expectations. So you can ask the question, why is that? It might be because you're burned out. But here's the other area where I feel like some people might get lost. It might just be because you don't like doing the thing. One of the things that I needed to do to train for American Ninja Warrior was I need to run more consistently, which by the way, most ninjas don't do any running. They're horrible at cardio. It's all about upper body strength and quick bursts. And um, you couldn't get them to run a mile to save their lives. But let's say, for example, it was that I'm going to be a runner and I have established the habit of running four days a week and I'm never doing it. Well, it doesn't automatically mean that I have no energy and I'm burned out. For me personally, it's because I hate running. So maybe I need to find a different habit that I'm more excited about. So I don't want somebody to think just because I'm not doing it, it must mean that I'm burned out. Sometimes there's a misalignment again of expectations. I am supposed to do this thing. I am supposed to enjoy it, but I don't. So that's where you can give yourself permission to cut the cord and say, I'm not a runner. I'm going to quit this. I'm not going to quit being healthy or quit exercising, but I'm going to replace it with something that I'm more interested in and excited about. But just the simple practice of logging some of the most important habits that you want to become your identity, which plug for any work that uh, James Clear has done. Anybody wants to dig into James Clear and Atomic Habits, it's all about do your habits align with your values, align with your identity and exercising regularly and being a healthy person, that's in alignment with the identity that I want to create and the identity that I want to hold. If the checkboxes in my little notebook don't align with that, could be because I'm burned out. I think we've done a lot of good here. <laughs> I think that uh, a lot of people haven't really thought about one, making goals, or they have and they've given up on it because it feels impossible because they have never put up any guardrails or boundaries and they lack self-awareness. And I think that then they're ready to start stepping in and, well, listening to back episodes of this podcast for sure, but then jumping over and adding yours into their subscription mix, much like I will be doing, and listening back through and optimizing. I very much appreciate you saying that. And I apologize to your team in advance for making this such a robust list of show notes that they have to go through <laughs> into your archives and add all these guests. I took notes. Don't worry. I typed. But yeah, there's no doubt that uh, having discovered you through uh, the connection that was made between the two of us, that there, there's a lot of alignment in the work that you're doing. And I, of course, will be uh, you know throwing you into my list as well. And uh, I can already tell you, if you're interested, I would like this very much to be reciprocal. And I would love to have this conversation on my show from your specific angle as yeah, well. Yeah, definitely. If we have like an extra 60 seconds, there's one piece of this puzzle that we haven't talked about that I think is so absolutely vital when it comes to burnout. It's asking the question, am I surrounded by the right people? It took me years to discover this because I really thought it was all about time management and sleep and exercise and nutrition. And guess what? All that's important. But fundamentally, what they have found through extensive research is that the one determinant of the quality of our life and our index of how we perceive our life as happy or fulfilled is about the people that we surround ourselves with. And if you're burned out, there's a fairly high likelihood you are not surrounded by the right people. That could be in your personal relationships. I would guess for at least those that are listening to this show, specifically looking to learn more about productivity, but go beyond the to-do list. Ask yourself, especially if you do creative work, are you collaborating with people that you actually want to collaborate with that respect you, that value your unique talents and your unique skills that don't exploit you? Because a lot of times the people you're surrounded with, those are the reasons that you're probably burning out. Again, misalignment of expectation. I'm a creative person. I want to collaborate with people that have a similar vision as me. We have the same mission. We want to tell the same stories. We want to have the same impact on the world, but we don't. 
And I might be doing the same work in the timeline or the canvas or whatever it is, but the work they're asking me to do is not in alignment with my vision. That alone is enough to completely burn somebody out. So who you surround yourself with is such a key component of this equation if you want to design a more balanced, productive, and fulfilling life and creative career. I think there's another whole episode to record just talking about how you do some of the self-awareness homework and then integrate that into those expectations when it comes to the other people that have a say in those expectations, your boss, Mm -hmm. your spouse, your kids, your family, et cetera. So that's a jumping off point that we can put a pin in and, and come back around to in the future. Yeah. I could talk about that for 60 minutes all by itself, that alone, and I would look forward to it. Yeah. So in the meantime, where can people find you and your show and all the work that you're doing? Sure. There's two places I want to send people. The first of which is the more general, which is my website is optimizeyourself.me. I also have my podcast, Optimize Yourself, on all the platforms, Apple, Spotify, et cetera, et cetera. We all know how to consume podcasts. Do a quick search, you'll find it. But specifically where I want to send people, if this latest conversation that we had resonated and you're thinking, oh, maybe I haven't surrounded myself with the right people, especially if I have goals and I don't have the right people to get me to those goals, I want to build my network and expand the relationships that I have. That's actually an area that I specialize and I have an upcoming workshop that I'm doing called Build Your Dream Network. And anybody that wants to learn more about that can go to optimizeyourself.me slash dream network. Perfect. We'll link that up as well. And that should be coming up soon. Cool. Very much looking forward to it. Zach, great talking with you. I'm sure this is the first of many conversations and I'm looking forward to those as well. Thank you so much for being here. Yes. Thank you so much. This is an amazing experience and I'm so honored to be on the roster of some of the names that are on your show. So this meant a lot to me. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, that's another podcast crossed off your listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Zach Arnold as much as I did having it. It was a thrill for me to talk with Zach, and I know that you're going to enjoy his podcast if you check it out. In fact, I'm looking forward to guesting on that show in the near future. If you found this conversation helpful, think of somebody that you know needs to hear it and share it with them, would you? Would you do me as well as Zach, as well as that person, that favor? Share this with them. Hit the share button in your podcast player app of choice or head on over to the show notes at beyondthetodolist.com and share it from there. Thank you again for sharing. Thank you so much for listening. And I will see you next episode.